All right, we're back again for another episode of the YVR Remo Show. And today we're going to get into tax planning for all borrowers. So we're going to touch on, most importantly, the self-employed. They're always a hot topic around tax season and tax planning in general. And of course, we get a lot of questions with employed borrowers too. A lot of our clients that are buying, you know, their first homes or their second and third homes are employees. And there's a lot of factors to consider. So we're going to dive in and, and touch on it all. All right, so why don't we start off with employees. It's, this comes up well, almost on every application I, I, I look at. Will buying an RRSP drop my income if I'm an employee borrower? And I'm sure you get that question too. Yeah, I mean, the common theme, and, and for anyone that doesn't really know how this works, when you, when you purchase or invest into RRSPs, the main and initial benefit is that it's going to drop your taxable income. For anyone listening to this that isn't 100% sure how the RRSP program works, essentially, it's a tax planning tool. You, you purchase RRSPs, you invest into RRSPs, and the tax benefit is that it's actually going to drop your personal taxable income accordingly based on how much you purchased. So when you talk that through, when it comes to mortgage financing and qualification, obviously the more income in the application, the better. So the question that comes to us a lot is, if I buy RRSPs and I'm paying tax on less income, am I gonna be able to use less income in my mortgage application? The answer is no. Through the tax return, we can prove that the only reason that you paid less tax is because of the RRSP purchase. So it's a very big myth. It's actually a very good question. So it's, it's interesting when that comes up, but we just wanted to touch on that quickly for anyone that's an employee investing in RRSPs. Uh, it's absolutely something that will not impact your qualification. Yeah, so it's like just all benefit there. I mean, if you have the ability to buy RRSPs and drop your taxable income, highly recommend it. It have no negative impact on qualification whatsoever. The other thing that comes up quite a bit went from an employee standpoint is just a tax refund. You know, it's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things to consider here. Not everyone gets a tax refund, but you know, it can be a great way to have a, a bit of a forced savings plan. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people, if you're in that that wheelhouse where you get a tax refund every single year, it's it, this can be a great tool. Obviously, everything that's going on in the world, just generally speaking, life is expensive. And it can be very, very difficult to save money at the end of the day, right? When when you've look at, looked at your income compared to expenses, it can be really hard to chip away. And, you know, even if it's 50 bucks a month that you're saving, it can take a very long time to, to build up a good nest egg. So the tax refund is, it's really, you know, it's kind of your out if you're in that situation, even if it's a couple thousand dollars a year. Unfortunately, you know, we see a lot of people that get that refund and, and it's spent pretty much right away. But I think people need to look at that a little bit differently because if you can't find a way to save throughout life, that is your kind of saving grace every single year. Another strategy that we've seen a lot of people take uh, over the years is you can actually work with your employer to increase the amount of tax that you're paying. So monthly, uh, or bi-weekly or weekly as you're receiving your paychecks, you will be receiving a little bit less, which obviously nobody wants to do. But if you can afford to do that, and again, you're not really managing your savings that well, this is a great forced savings plan. At the end of the year, you're gonna get all that money back, uh, which you could then look to invest or you know, ideally save towards your down payment if you're a first time buyer or, or even looking to get into your second home. Yeah, good points there. Um, Oh, this comes up quite regularly, especially when you come around the time of year where lenders are looking for tax returns from the particular previous year. So right now, you know, you know, not dating this too much, but we're we're at a point in time in the year where we're we're not looking for the most recent year tax history. Come August, September, 
that is where a lender will be asking for that previous tax year. So it's very, it's imperative that you file your taxes on time. And, and if you don't, you may not have the tax return or the, the notice of assessment in order to qualify for a mortgage for that previous tax year when it comes to purchasing a home. We all know purchasing a home is, you know, hopefully it's planned, but sometimes, you know, the perfect property, the perfect opportunity comes up and, and you have to scramble and, and get your stuff in order. Uh, making sure you're always filing uh, on time is important and that will always assure that you have the proper documentation when it comes to purchasing a home. Yeah, the question that I, just keeping the, the theme around, you know, an employee, someone that's a T Ford employee, um, the question that I get all the time is, you know, like my tax is prepaid. Every single paycheck that I receive, the, the tax is already taken away by my employer. It goes direct to CRA. Like, do I really need to file taxes, right? Whereas someone who's self-employed, it's beyond important to file your taxes because you have to actually pay taxes per, uh, personally. Um, so again, just the theme of what Dean was saying, even though you're a T Ford employee, pretty well all lending institutions are going to be looking for a notice of assessment in addition to your T4 just to prove that you have reconciled and taxes are paid up to date. That kind of summarizes tax planning, I guess you can say from an employee standpoint, there isn't a whole lot there, but there are some key pieces that you, we both touched on there that I think are, are very important and helpful. Now, this is where we get a bit more into the meat of advice, especially when it comes from a planning perspective is just being a business owner. There's, there's a lot of things to consider here. Um, and I think we can just start off with pre-planning. Um, pre-planning kind of goes, I mean, it's going to be the catch-all for all of these topics, but filing your taxes can certainly be a nightmare. Part of what goes into filing your taxes is ultimately what is your plan going forward. And knowing your plan going forward is important because we need to know your numbers. And from, from a mortgage broker's perspective and looking at the qualification, if we know your, you know your goal is to purchase a home, whether it's a primary residence or a rental home for an X amount of dollars, a specific amount or, or a desired amount, we can plan for that. And a lot of times accountants are quite creative. They can get really creative with how they, you know, chop up the numbers, chop up the expenses and ultimately bring your taxable income down. Bringing the taxable income down on the self-employed side is going to hurt you from a qualification point. Unlike the employee standpoint, which we were talking about buying RSPs, that's not going to hurt you, but this will. So how we, you know, justify income from a net perspective will impact your qualification. And so having a conversation with us is super important. Yeah. And just to tie these two together, the self-employed and then the employee. So um, from a lender's perspective, conventional lending, if they're looking at an employee's application, they're actually qualifying that person based on gross income employees are qualified based on gross income. So if you if you have a gross salary of $80,000 a year, but you're only actually taking home about 60,000, the bank is using $80,000 of income to qualify your mortgage. That said, on the self-employed side, further to Dean's point, um, if you are self-employed and you gross $200,000 your company, but you only drew out 100,000 of that personally, you are gonna be qualified based on what you drew out personally, which is actually technically your net income. So that's a huge consideration. Lenders are not looking at gross income. A-type lenders are not looking at gross income for self-employed borrowers. At the end of the year, whether you've had a good year or a bad year, someone that's self-employed and maybe hasn't prepaid tax, quite literally has to take money out of their bank account and pay it to CRA. So this is unfortunately a, something that we see quite often. Um, and again, whether it's a good year or a bad year, a lot of people don't save the money for tax. A lot of people spend a lot of their money. Uh, again, we're in an expensive world here, but if you have not accounted for your tax bill, 
this is a conversation you need to have with your accountant throughout the year, right? You need to be checking in with them quarterly saying like, this is where I'm at. This is where, you know, my net income is. What do I need to plan for? Generally speaking, if you're self-employed, you should be saving at least 30% of your income in a savings account, right? And again, accountants can get very creative with, with write-offs and, and, and how to structure income to bring that, that taxable uh, income down. But regardless, if you have money socked away, there's, there's no flaw in that. If you don't need to use it all for taxes, there's nothing but benefit there. Uh, but again, working closely with your accountant and your mortgage broker are very important, especially if you're planning to buy or refinance or even an upcoming renewal. Right, so this is a, a situation that I just saw recently. Client was up for renewal. He is absolutely furious with his existing bank. They're actually not offering him a great rate because he missed a payment throughout the five-year term. He can't leave that institution to go to another A lender because he wrote his income dramatically, dramatically down. So in his situation, his really only sound option to stay with a conventional A-type lender is to renew with his existing bank. So again, a lot of people don't think of renewals as, as being overly important, but it is a huge piece. So anyone that is considering purchasing, refinancing, renewing, getting a line of credit, anything of that nature, you need to think about where your income needs to be so that you can achieve that level of financing. Some of the things you said there, you know, filing your taxes and, and, and showing it, you know, a lower amount, can, it, it may not be an issue depending on the lending type and we'll touch on that. But one thing it, to be certain, owing money to CRA has to be dealt with. It really doesn't matter what lender we're dealing with unless we're dealing with a very expensive private lender. Um, you must be on top of your taxable amount owing to CRA and, and staying on top of that. Th there's some great advice there. One thing that I know we do and, and works well, I mean, depending on what tax bracket you're in, but typically self-employed individuals are looking at about a 27% tax rate when it comes to corporate tax and 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 just putting away a, a you know allotment of, of that amount can be very helpful it's probably more than you need given that there's write-offs and there's ways to bring the taxable income down but just putting away a set amount of your of your income putting it into an account automatically you know at in, a lot of banks will actually set up automatic payments and deductions based on income coming into your account and automatically putting it in an account whatever it has to be having that you know forced savings plan can be very helpful you know it touches on 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 that side of things and just weighing the cost i think this is another one that is going to tie into programs but you know looking at weighing the cost and this is really tax versus interest Tax can be quite expensive. CRA can be a very expensive bill. I just touched on a number of 27%. In some cases, it's 50%. In some cases, it's lower. Why don't we touch on that? Because that, you know, paying a higher interest rate, potentially, with an alternative lender that, you know, isn't too picky on what you're showing from a net income perspective, uh, could really help you from a perspective of just saving total cost per year. Yeah, so just to go a little bit deeper on that, we have, we have, three different buckets, I guess you could say, uh, of financing in Canada. There's A lending, which is your, your typical banks, credit unions, that's where everybody wants to be. Um, B or alternative lending, um, there's still banks, um, they're, they're large institutions that are lending across Canada to qualified borrowers, but they have some very, very aggressive self-employed programs where they don't actually look at your personal tax returns. They're actually looking at the business to see what the revenue and net income looks like inside of the business only. And that's not commercial lending. This is residential personal lending um, based on business income. And then bucket C is private lending that we've talked about time and time again. It's extremely expensive, but there's no income qualification there. Um, so just back to the point of weighing the cost, right? So you kind of have to look at this. You know, we've had conversations with borrowers where you know, they've written their income down to $30,000, 
for historically for 10 years. So they, they technically qualify for next to nothing when it comes to an A-type bank. So the options presented to that borrower would typically be, you know, we need to step back. You need to restructure your income over the next two years. Literally, you need to file two sets of tax returns, bumping your income up dramatically to get you to a point where you can buy a home. Or we go to option B or alternative lending, where it is a little bit more expensive. There are certainly some extra costs there. It's still a very standard mortgage product, but it allows you to pull the trigger now. So pulling the trigger now can obviously benefit you in so many ways. One of those being, if the market picks up, like we saw over the last couple of years, you could obviously have missed out on all of that appreciation. Uh, you've also paid down a mortgage for the course of two years. But last piece, like I said, if you have to go back to the drawing board and restructure your income and maybe go from 30,000 net income up to 150 to get to where you want to be, there's going to have a massive, massive cost in that. So, you know, this, this black cloud of being with a B or alternative or even a private lender, a lot of times it's really not as bad as you think when you, when you weigh the options, right? You have to look at what is my cost and what is my opportunity cost from, from going back to the drawing board and waiting two years compared to potentially pulling the trigger tomorrow, but paying some extra finance costs immediately. Great points. I mean, I can't really add too much more than that. Um, the one thing I did want to touch on is just the cash component. We have a lot of clients that, you know, are, are in trades or, or do, you know, certain cash jobs and, and live off their cash and, you know, can be great from a tax perspective because, you know, not that we would advise this by any means. And that's totally the direction I'm going down here is, you know, just living off cash is not going to benefit you from a perspective of just being ethical and ensuring that, you know, you are showing the income that you earn to the government. Um, you know, having a great accountant to have great tax strategies, there's nothing unethical or illegal about that. The, their, most accountants should be playing within the rules. And there's a lot to, there's a lot to be said about that because, you're, you're doing things in the right way. Um, by just running a cash business, it's, it's not going to be ideal for that purpose, especially when things catch up to you. But most importantly, from a financing perspective, there's no way to verify this income. There's really no way to verify that income. And so if you are running a cash business, definitely declare it. Definitely declare what you're pulling in and put the cash in a bank account. Um, you know, Jumping into some of the programs, which we're going to do right now, Alternative lending is primarily driven on what goes into the bank account and what comes out of the bank account. It's a very common sense approach to lending and they'll look at your bank statements to figure this out. If your business is all cash, deposit it in the bank account so the bank can properly see the income that's coming in. That's, that's ultimately how you're gonna verify cash. Even if you look at rental income in the same manner, a lot of tenants pay cash and people don't wanna deposit it because they don't wanna pay tax and all this. But like, if you think about the structure of that, Put the money into the account, you have write-offs. Even for rental income, you have write-offs. You have mortgage interest, you have property taxes, you have general expenses, right? Same thing for a business. Most businesses are gonna have way more expenses than a property would. So putting that cash into your account is not going to negatively impact you. You might pay a bit of tax on it, but at least it's useful when it comes to mortgage financing or any type of lending for that matter. Um, plus, you're not avoiding CRA. So you don't run that risk. Totally. Just maybe last piece before we dig into these programs. So newly self-employed, this is very, very common. Uh, mortgage brokers in general would work with a lot of people who are newly self-employed because the banks typically will not be able to work with them, right? So, you know, I have a, a client of mine that I've been chatting with a ton. He's been an electrician for, I think, six, seven, eight years. Um, he's been business for self. So he started his own business. He has a corporation. He's been doing that for about a year. Um, and he wants to buy a property, right? So for that, 
type of a situation, most conventional lenders cannot offer financing until you have your full two years, right? Um, so just a, you know, I guess a, a comment for anyone that's new in business, typically your first year is going to be a little bit difficult, probably very difficult. And when it comes time to filing taxes and we're talking an extra tax bill, most people just go like, get rid of this tax bill for me, figure it out through write-offs, whatever it needs to be. Um, you just have to think about what's ahead of you. And I know, like Dean said, sometimes you plan buying real estate, sometimes you don't. Most of the time you probably don't actually, it just kind of all makes sense at, at some point. Um, but if you, if you claim very little income today for conventional lending, that's gonna impact you for at least the next two years, if not three, just depending on the point in time in the year. So just keep that in mind. If you're, if you're new to business, there are programs for you. There are absolutely programs out there. Sometimes we can even get exceptions with conventional lenders, depending on the structure. Um, but again, that first year, it's so common to see people claim literally nothing um, just because they don't want to take on that extra expense, but then it's going to impact them for the next two to three years. Well said. So I don't have too much to add there. We can jump into the programs and, and, and this shouldn't take too much time. But when we're looking at a lending, so it's going to be your, you know, your best rates available, the big five banks that you're familiar with, all the credit unions that you're, you know, you're likely familiar with. There are some programs to consider that are actually quite advantageous for self-employed individuals. And, you know, a lot of these tax strategies can still be suitable for these lenders. So why don't we just start off? Scotiabank's a lender we work with closely. There's a few credit unions that have these types of programs, but uh, the net income after tax program is something that comes up quite regularly for corporate borrowers. And there are a few other institutions as well. There's a couple of credit unions. There's there's a, a few banks that have these programs. Essentially what they're doing is, is they're looking at your personal net income on your tax return, whether it be T4 or dividends, you have to be incorporated to use these programs. So they're looking at your personal income. They're also looking at your corporate financial statements. So corporate financial statements is essentially a tax return for your business. So it shows your revenue, your expenses, dividends out, you name it, it's all there. So what they're looking at is if you're, if you're, corporation is very healthy and it does very well, you're actually going to have net income inside of the business. So what some of these programs will look at is if you have net income inside of the business, they'll take a, a, a fractional percentage of that, sometimes up to 50%, but it has to be over the course of two years. So again, these programs can be very advantageous for self-employed borrowers, but um, they, they do qualify in a way where it's relatively strict and they wanna make sure that if they're drawing income out of that company, that company is actually ran very well. Um, and financially, it's it's been strong for at least a couple of years. Yeah, so that's a pretty standard net income after tax program. So what they're looking at is if your corporation is very healthy and it does very well, you're actually gonna have net income inside of the business. So what some of these programs will look at is if you have net income inside of the business, they'll take a, a, a fractional percentage of that, sometimes up to 50%, but it has to be over the course of two years. So again, these programs can be very advantageous for self-employed borrowers, but they do qualify in a way where it's relatively strict and they wanna make sure that if they're drawing income out of that company, that company is actually ran very well. Um, and financially, it's it's been strong for at least a couple of years. Again, this is where I just 
truly feel that working with a broker is so important because if you go into your bank and they don't offer this and you get declined, um, that can obviously be a pretty, uh, you know, a, a pretty awful feeling to walk out of there um, and you don't know where to go or what to do. So working with a broker, we know what different institutions offer, uh, who's going to be better suited for a self-employed borrower compared to others. So sticking to the A lending piece, you know, we talked about that net income after tax. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal program for people that have really strong corporations. The other piece is, is there's an insured stated income program. So insured stated income is essentially less than 20% down, or even if you have more than 20% down, the lender will force you to pay for insurance. So CMHC is the most common insurer that most people hear about. And it's a program offered through the insurer where they will technically, they, they usually look at a level of income in the middle compared to what you actually claim personally to what we can justify your business did. And we have to go through the motions on this. You know, we need bank statements and, and invoices and um, they're going to look at this very, very closely. It's a very strict program, but it can really do wonders for someone if they just need a little bit more financing. It's it's typically not going to be a program that's going to take you from 200000 of a mortgage to $800,000. Um, but we've often seen clients, you know, maybe potentially get another hundred, hundred and fifty thousand of financing out of these programs just depending on the situation so those are the two most common self-employed programs um, with conventional a-type lenders of course and then you know we touched on this throughout the show today but B or alternative lending, we're trying to get away from saying B because it's it really isn't a black cloud. You know, these are, again, these are banks um, offering standard mortgages, but the stated income programs offered through alternative lenders are, these do absolute wonders for our borrowers. Um, so essentially what they're doing, they're, they're taking the personal tax returns completely out of the picture and they're solely focusing on your business bank statements. So a lot of times they don't even want to see the corporate financial statements. They just want to see the business bank statements and we will work with our borrowers to figure out gross income and we even loop in their accountants we want to know what their gross revenue was for the last 12 months we want to know what their expenses were and we draw up a document including tax um, to figure out what a more realistic number is uh, of net income for their business and these alternative lenders will go with that assuming all the numbers check out so it's a phenomenal program but you will see higher costs. So there's typically a one to one and a half percent fee upfront. So on a $500,000 mortgage, you typically expect to pay about 7,500 bucks in a lending fee, which again, that is not charged uh, through A-type lenders, right? So that's a big cost upfront. Um, in addition, you will typically pay uh, about 0.5 to 1% higher on the interest rate. So again, Pros and cons, uh, we talked about you know, the, the cost of waiting, um, the cost of, uh, of having to refile and bump up your income and all the tax costs that come with that. Um, at the end of the day, anyone that's still listening to the show today, we just want you guys to take away the fact that there are options. It is absolutely never too soon to start planning. I've done planning with clients for three years before they sent, found themselves in the right position. They had their income bumped up enough. Um, but again, until you go through the motions, you just don't know. And process-wise, there really isn't a lot involved here, right? From, from our clients, we need an application and some documents. We take it away and do the rest. And we have a detailed planning session to go through your options. And best case scenario, you're gonna find yourself in a situation where you can pull the trigger tomorrow. Worst case scenario, you do not qualify, but we can start helping you building a plan to get you to where you want to be over time.
So I think we've covered a lot here. I mean, again, just to kind of just to kind of wrap up, you know, some some myths about employees, um, RSPs, tax refunds, great way to save money. Uh, filing your taxes, employees, don't forget to file your taxes. It's cheap, it's easy, it's painless. Just do it. Um, Self-employed borrowers, this is a big painful time of year. You're dealing with invoices and bank statements and, and big tax bills. Again, don't put it off. Uh, you want to get this stuff done in line, in time. Um, and again, work closely with your accountant. If you don't have a good account, get a new one. Uh, work closely with your mortgage broker if you have any plans of doing anything real estate related in the future. Um, and then lastly, just programs. There are programs out there for everything, right? Maybe it's not today, maybe it's in a year, but there are programs, uh, amazing programs for self-employed borrowers. So Again, thank you guys for tuning in today. Uh, another episode down the hatch. Uh, we appreciate all of you guys. And again, if you guys have any topics that you'd like us to chat about, let us know and uh, we'll see you on the next one.